The reading this evening is taken from Psalm 69 and can be found on page 583 in the Church Bibles. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. O Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who seek you not to be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favour. In your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire, do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me. All the depths swallow me up. All the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them, 
Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell there. This is the word of the Lord. Beautifully read, Judith. Thank you so much. Reading it nice and slow so we can really fully get the impact of this passage and some of the difficult parts of it. Um, my name is Ollie Benyon. I'm the associate vicar here. And it's wonderful to, to meet uh, many of you. If you're, if you're new here, do come and say hello. I would love to, to meet you in person. Um, so this, um, this evening, we, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series called Thinking and Feeling with God. And the point of that name is that Psalms, on the one hand, are meant to be instructions on how we're to think about God and our relationship with Him. And on the other hand, Psalms are poems and songs and are meant to stir our feelings, awaken them about God and our relationship with Him. And throughout the series, we've looked at uh, a number of subjects, uh, uh, looked at the feelings of spiritual depression and discouragement and how to do that well in Psalm 42. Uh, last week, we looked at the feeling of regret and guilt and how to navigate that well uh, in Psalm 51. And tonight, the question I want to ask in this psalm is what do you do with the feeling of rage and anger when you have been horribly wronged? Maybe things like sexual abuse in your family, blatant racial discrimination, maybe betrayal of marriage vows and how that has just turned your whole world upside down. How should you feel without those who have wronged you? How should you feel and how should you think about it? And what should you do? And that is what we're going to be looking at this evening. And um, after reading that passage and hearing that, you may want to pray with me. So let's just pray before we start. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word can be instructive to us today. Help us to learn something new about you today. Help us to be changed uh, in, because of your Holy Spirit uh, today. 
We give this time to you now, and I pray that you use my words to, to just minister to people today in your name. Amen. Now, Psalm 69 um, is from a group of psalms called the Imprecatory Psalms. Now, that is a fancy word that describes the psalms that include curses and judgment against God's enemies. And as you imagine, as you were probably listening to a little bit of a few moments ago, these psalms are usually considered you know, problematic for, for Christians because Jesus taught us a few different things, isn't he? He taught us to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you in Luke 6. So it sounds that these Psalms are doing like the complete opposite of what Jesus has instructed to us. And now before we are tempted to just go, well, that was a very nice reading by Judith, but what was the point of that? Let's throw it out. It's interesting to know that this psalm is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament, and it's often quoted by Jesus and Paul. And on no occasion are they ever embarrassed or critical of this psalm, or it is one that we should reject in, uh, in our teaching today. So we learn from the New Testament, like all um, Psalms, that this is God's inspired truth for us today. Okay, so we've got that in our heads. Okay, this is God's truth. And we can, there are things we can apply to us uh, and apply into our lives today. So three lessons I want to draw from this Psalm. The first one is the cry for help. Then it's the desire for justice and the vow to worship. So that's the, where we're going. The cry for help, the desire for justice, and the vow to worship. So the first one, the cry for help. And this is kind of the first 21 verses. I'm doing a bit of a, 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 a big kind of grab of the uh, verses here, the first one. Verse 1, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. David feels overwhelmed by his enemies. They don't seem to be military ones, which we may see in other passages, but these are personal enemies, and they are heartless, and they are vicious in their attack to him. And so what is the reason for their hostility? What has David done? Any grievances that he has done against them? Well, David, he doesn't claim to be perfect. In fact, he admits in verse 5 that he has made mistakes and God knows about them. But this attack on him is not because of something that he has personally done wrong. But instead, they hate him without cause. They attack him with lies. It says in verse 4, David is suffering because of his relationship with God. Verse 7, I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. Verse 9, for zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. David's relationship with his father has a personal cost to him. And we cannot read these first 29 verses uh, without seeing a picture of another suffering servant. Now, these verses give a stark image of what it was like for Jesus on that cross as he cried out in pain, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus also, he understood the cost of following um, his Father's will. And uh, throughout Psalms, in Psalm 21, we, we see many of the same words that Jesus um, said in his time of struggle. But in Psalm 69, in this Psalm, we are given images, we're giving pictures of it. You know, a flood, or worse still, quicksand. With nothing firm to grasp hold of in any direction, the psalmist calls out for God and, you know, and, and just for help. Lord, Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. If you've been through this kind of type of nightmare before, the feeling of being abandoned and rejected by those around you because of your relationship with God, then know that firstly, David, this passage, this psalm we're reading to about today, can we can relate with, but also Jesus has been through it. And he's not just been through it, he did it for you and he did it for me. And he also warned us in John 15 that this is something that we should expect. We should expect to go through tough times. He says this in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. We will suffer for being followers of Jesus. You know, if, if you became a Christian and you didn't know that, then you need to know that. You know, we make it very clear, even in Alpha, there will be times of trial and difficulties if you start following Jesus. Maybe your belief in the Bible has caused you to, to lose job opportunities or promotions or your coming to faith has created some strain and stresses in your family relationships or you've maybe lost out on relationships because you're deciding to live uh, in a godly way and you've made those decisions in your life. If we are to be Christians, I don't mean just coming along to church on a Sunday. I mean we've made significant choices in our life to live differently, to stick our necks out for, what, for the things that we believe to be true. Then yes, at points we will suffer for it. And what we can learn from David is when you are in trouble or in a position of great weakness, you can know God's great love for you. David prays, in your great love, O God, answer me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me, in verse 16. I think this is a simple truth that we need to be constantly reminded of. That God loves you so much that he gave everything for you. He went to the Christ cross and he gave everything for you. He said, I love you this much. And though you will suffer in this life, and though you will lose out on worldly pleasures for his name, he will never forget you. He will never abandon you. He will never turn his back on you. He is there in the deep waters with you. And the temporary cost of calling him father today will be worth it both now and forevermore. So that's the first thing I want to say is that we can cry out for help. 
The second thing is the desire for justice. Now, up to this point, there are plenty of similarities with what Jesus did on the cross uh, that we're almost expecting a plea from David of something like, you know, Father, forgive them. You know, they are persecuting me. They're giving me a hard time. But, you know, I'm pleading for their forgiveness. I'm pleading that you would, you know, abolish their, their sins. But what we get is something very different. Verse 24, you, I'm sure you heard it when it was read. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. He prays to God that these enemies, you know, his enemies um, and God's enemies experience the full force of God's judgment and that they may not be let off. He's not praying for their salvation. He's praying for their damnation. That's pretty tricky, isn't it? And how are we to deal with such passages? You know, are we just meant to skip past them? But what can we learn about them? Wouldn't it be better just to, to say that David, he was just having an off day? Come on, you know, we, we don't do this anymore. I don't think so. I think there are just a, a four things briefly I want to mention about it. Is firstly, we must remember that the Jews only had the Old Testament. So we cannot expect a passage like this to feel fully Christian, to feel what it's like to, because we know Jesus. Because they may be, you know, have, there may be a picture of what Jesus was going to suffer, what Jesus was like in the Psalms, but the writer had no knowledge of a Jesus who said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the second thing is this Psalm and those like it are a good example of the importance of being honest in our prayers. And David, he was incredibly honest with God, wasn't he? And we too can tell God what we are really feeling. And if we feel angry about something, uh, then it's, I advise you, it's, it's, it's worth telling God about it. Because the Bible is full of people crying out to God, and a lot of them are just angry with God. You know, Job, who lost everything this world could offer because of his strong faith, he shouts to God his complaints about his suffering. And he, he curses the day that he was even born. He says, why did I not die at birth in chapter 3? Jonah, who was so furious at God, who wanted to show mercy to a godless nation, that he shouts out to God, you know, I am angry enough to die. And then David, as we see in this passage, who in the midst of being persecuted on God's behalf, he shouts out, do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Verse 17. Now, this isn't a sermon encouraging you to get angry with God, but to say it is better to express our anger and frustration with God than pretending nothing is wrong. Um, the person I love most in this world is my wife, Lois. She's a great delight uh, to me, and I hope that I'm a great delight to her. And she is also, though, the person I get most angry with. And, um, I, and I believe it or not, I, she's told me I make her angry as well on occasions. Now, I am not worried about that. Uh, it is part of being in a relationship with someone that you love. 
And in fact, if we never disagreed, or if one of us never felt that they could come to someone with their grievance, then in the end, our relationship just breaks down. We, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are invited to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. What a, what a joy that is. And for this to work, we need to be completely and utterly honest with Him. To cry out when we are feeling alone, when we feel injustice against us, when we feel uh, maybe the things in the world that are just not, you know, where, where are you, God, in this situation? It's okay for us to cry out to Him. And we see time and time again that God is compassionate to us and answers those who come to him with real, honest, and raw prayers. I don't know if you've ever come to God with real, honest, raw prayers. I just recommend it. It's, this is not a chance to be particularly English, you know, in our prayers where we say, please, God, if you're there. No, it's okay for us to cry out to God. And we see in Scripture, he was generous with Job and restored back all that was taken from him. He was gracious with Jonah and provided for him, even though that, you know, Jonah was, you know, being angry and like a little child at some points. He was a protector for David in the midst of hostile opposition. If you're honest, if you're holding back from being honest with God, then I just want to encourage you, don't. Don't do it. Because he can take it. The Lord can take it. Next thing is also David's enemies are also God's enemies. David is not just asking God to bring vengeance on his personal enemies. Like asking, you know, a big brother in the school playground to, you know, beat up your bully. He's reminding God that the enemies of Israel are God's enemies. And for Christians today, our enemies are not flesh and blood, for Jesus died for us all. As it says in Ephesians 6, our enemy is against the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil. And we long for a day when that enemy is defeated once and for all. But David, like all Old Testament saints, did not have the knowledge we have about the day of judgment, about the idea of heaven and hell. The only justice he knew about happened on earth. So he had to pray that the wicked would be punished in this life, that God would bring justice now. And the next thing I want to mention is David refused to take revenge himself, but left it to God. Now this, this psalm isn't an encouragement to curse our enemies. You know, Paul in Romans 15, he uses this psalm. You know, this psalm is often used in Scripture in the New Testament. And in Romans 15, he uses this psalm to encourage us to do the exact opposite of that. To deny ourselves rather than to gratify the, the, the lust, the desire for revenge. In other words, to forgive. This is not because there's no wrath or punishment or no judgment in this psalm. It's because of the very reason there is judgment that we can, we can bring it to God. We can leave it at his feet. You know, it's very easy to feel cheated by life if we don't have an understanding of a just and loving God. You know, we may live in a society that has a good justice system. However, no matter how good it is, crimes will go unpunished. Lives are destroyed 
And bitterness is often the only option left for us if we don't see, you know, justice um, done. We all understand the need for justice. And I want to tell you, and so does God. God understands as well. And one day we will all face our God. And we will be judged for the actions in our life. And every one of us, all of us, will fail that judgment because we've all fallen short of that mark. We have all failed. We've all hurt others. We've all turned our back on God at certain points. But folks, Jesus is our advocate. He's our substitute. He's our ransom. He is the only one who has never turned away from God. And he paid the price for our sin and taken our punishment that was due to us onto himself. Justice will be served, but Jesus offers to take it in our place. If you are holding back from unforgiveness, then I just want to encourage you, let it go. Let it go. Not because you're letting someone off the hook, but because, hey, as a Christian, it is not our responsibility. We need to hand things back over to God. And the final thing I just want to mention tonight is the vow to worship. David vowed to worship. The Bible, folks, is, is realistic. There are times when we're in pain and distress, as it says in verse 20, 29. And David, he doesn't try and ignore the problems, you know, push them under the carpet. He faces them. He chooses to worship God in spite of his circumstances. Even in the depths, you can be sure of a God, um, sure of who God is, and we can worship him. And he is there in our depths, in our, in our darkest moments. And this psalm ends with incredible sound of worship. I will praise you, God's, God's name in song, and glorify him with thanksgiving. Let heaven and earth praise him. They worship it goes on, not only on earth, but also it goes on in heaven. And when we worship him each week, when we come here each week, we are joining in the sound of heaven. What an what a amazing picture that is. And here, these last few verses, we see just three aspects of worship that I, I want us to remember, even in our darkest times. The first thing is worship involves the will. David says, I will praise God's name in verse 30. I'll praise it. I will do it. You may not always feel like worshiping. You may not always feel like coming to church and singing together. But it's a decision you make. It's an act of the will. And it's what we were made to do, folks. It's the only thing that will bring real life, real restoration in our lives. The next thing is worship pleases God. You know, Stuart was mentioning this a little earlier. You know, praising God's name in song will please the Lord. It will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves in verse 31. I know, who would have guessed it? Your praise to God will be better than an ox and a bull and its horns and hooves. It's in the Bible, folks, and, you know, so we are to believe it. And that is why in almost every, uh, 
event or gathering we do at HT, we have time for corporate worship. Not just so we can be warmed up for the, for the talk, but, you know, though it, it does help, um, but because God delights in us when we do it. It brings him pleasure. The next thing is worship affects others. The poor will see and be glad in verse 32. You who seek God, may your hearts live. You know, I have noticed those who seek God, maybe on the, the Alpha course, and I just moved at the time of worship. And as, there, as a result, you can see their hearts live. You can see life come to them. Or even those who walk in during, the, you know, maybe you've, you, you've, we've been singing worship and you've turned around sometimes and there are often people at the back who've just wandered in because they heard the worship and they're just, they're hearing the worship and they're struck by the beauty of sung worship. And it can bring life. It really can. To be, just to finish now, to be a follower of Jesus it can be costly. And there will be times when you will endure trials for God's sake. You will be hated without reason, verse 4. You will be a foreigner in your own family, verse 8. Be mocked, disgraced, and shamed for your faith, in verse 19. And in those times, just want to encourage us all to cry for help and know that God is not far off, but he is with you through this Holy Spirit, strengthening you and encouraging you to keep going. And we not be worried about passages that speak about God's wrath and God's judgment. Because they communicate something we all want, what we all desire. A desire for justice, for all the pain and all the suffering that we are impacted by and we read and see around the world. We want a God that cares about our suffering, who cares about the suffering that we see when we turn open, you know, turn on the newspapers and turn on the, turn on the TV and open the newspapers. Not one who just pushes it under the carpet, who does not leave injustice unpunished. And I just think this psalm that we've been looking at, though it's challenging, it's just a reminder of such a God. So I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And I want to finish by coming into worship. Tonight, you may not feel like worshiping, but I want to encourage you to choose to sing, to vow to worship whatever your circumstances, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, we make a decision because this is what we're made to do, to praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. That is what we're made to do. For God's promises, when we do that, for when we seek God, your hearts live. For when we seek God, your hearts, hearts live. I want to, let's stand up now. I'm just going to pray for us.